Welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 89. Let's roll. And we are rolling right through rookie draft season. I know all you Dynasty crazies are pretty excited about that. Uh, probably just snapping the button on Jalen Tolbert every every second round, I'm sure. Uh, enjoy yourselves out there. But this week we have a, a, a great guest, one of my favorite people. I listen to their show every single week. We partner with Underdog. Hayden Winks joins us this week. So you can This week you can find Hayden on Twitter, at Hayden Winks. Hayden Winks, welcome to the show. What's up, buddy? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, love helping support the underdog community. Love the yeah. Dynasty community. There's a, To me, I was just thinking about this. There's a lot of parallels between Dynasty and best ball compared to redraft because yeah. like in best ball, like, I mean, I just did my top 250 rankings. Like it is deep. Like people are debating, like I'm in discords where people are debating 18th round picks. You don't really get that in like your regular 12 team redraft league, but True. the Dynasty people, like right now where we're having discussions, James Washington versus Jalen Tolbert in the 18th round. Like that's like a legit discussion in the best ball streets. And right. you're having the same exact discussions in dynasty. You're not going to get that in your regular redraft. So I think a lot of, a lot of you that are playing dynasty, if you haven't played best ball, I think it's the perfect pairing. Cause dynasty takes a lot of work in the regular season. Best ball said it and forget it. I think it's like the best pairing out there. Yeah. It's a really excellent point. Um, I love, I love underdog by the way. I'm not just saying that cause you know, we're basically partners, but, uh, we, we love you guys. You guys are, you guys are blowing up too, huh? I mean, just unbelievable. The, uh, the, uh, the big tournament is absolutely killing it. I mean, what's the total, uh, for first place right now? Is it like $85 billion or something? <laughs> yeah. So it's a $10 million best ball tournament. Uh, you're in a draft with 12 people, but there's like advancing first place is 2 million. Second place is 1 million. Then we have a regular season grand prize winner. If you have the most points in the regular season, that person makes a million. So we have $3 million tournaments. We're just about to launch a puppy, which is going to be a $5 entry fee. Uh, and that's going to have $500,000 in prizes. So the best ball community is up massive. Um, and we're going to have different prize points, $5, $25 are, are a regular tournament. We'll have bigger, tr- uh, price points above that as well. Yeah. It's so much fun. And, and I will say it, you know, I, I love doing best ball. I, I had a great, I basically, uh, this is my third year kind of doing it. Last year was a down year too much, uh, too much Cortland Sutton and Logan Thomas. Maybe I don't know. It happens. I'm going, I'm going back to the well though, baby. I'll get myself some Cortland Sutton. We're going to get there in this show for sure. But I absolutely love drafting and you're right because you know, in a redraft setting, you know, your bench is kind of like, it's totally different the way you draft the, your bench in a, a redraft league than what you would do in a best ball league. They're like, almost completely opposite. And I think that's probably where you find a lot of, you know, advantages in the best ball streets is when sort of redraft players draft it like a redraft league, right? Yeah, totally right. Like the perfect example is Marquez Valdez Scantling. Name a person that loves rostering MVS and redraft when they're having to decide if this is going to be his 20 point week or the zero point week. And best ball, you just draft him and we set your lineup for you. So you don't have to worry about those decisions. There's also like, there's no waivers in best ball. So that's why we, we go to 18 uh, rounds, but then you're like making decisions like, Hey, like what type of backup running backs do I want? Do I want the, like some, some builds you want somebody like Devin Singletary, who's going to get you 10 points and half PPR. And then in some other builds, you want Alexander Madison, who's going to give you zero points 
or 25 points. So like right. all these little decisions kind of based off like how your first couple rounds of your drafts go. But this is like the discussions where best ball is a little bit more layering with strategy compared to your regular redraft league, but there's no time commitment. So you're playing That's dynasty, right. just try it out. Just do one, one draft. And I think you'll be hooked. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too, that I love is that you're always on the clock is what I say, you know, yep. like if you, the, you, cause you guys have like three and $5 leagues. So you can put a couple hundred bucks in and like be drafting all summer. Like you're just yep. constantly on the clock. There's slow drafts, fast drafts. So the slow drafts for some people are infuriating because it's like, you don't pick for like a day and a half, but if you're in like four or five of them, who cares? And then you're just always on the clock and you know, you've got a, a little bit of money in and you're just always, you know, always on the clock, as I say. And if you're a busy person, you got, you know, a lot of life happening. You don't have to be slave to the phone. You can just sort of hop on when it's good for you and, and see if you're, you're on the clock. You might have three hours remaining on your pick or eight or whatever. Who cares? You know, you just hop on, make some picks. It's a lot of fun, man. It's really there's, cool. There's a lot of people that do the slow drafts and when they go to the bathroom and then they're doing their draft picks. So there's always time for that. That's right. Yeah. 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 Lunch break, cigarette break, go make your pick. No, it's, it's a ton of fun. And, and, uh, and if you're not already on underdog, you really should be. So go get on underdog. Um, we're not going to talk about, uh, underdog all all show. We do have a little bit of a a show sheet. I know you didn't read it, but don't worry about it. I'm uh, you're so, you're so good. You don't need to, uh, you're going to be just fine. I'm sure of it. Uh, well, I did read it and I did what? prep for it. <laughs> what? Oh my God. This guy's a pro guys. Unbelievable. Of course he prepped for it. You know what he did? He just looked into his brain and was like, yep, I know all this shit. So don't worry about it. That's not exactly how it went, but I, I wish I could do that. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm trying, I'm trying to build you up, but what we did want to talk about, we kind of had a little bit of a thing, basically just new quarterbacks and new places and, and just kind of trip off that, you know, and, and it is interesting because I was thinking about no better person to talk to about it than you is sort of how these things all matter because I think you have a pretty good uh, grasp on that stuff. And yeah, I was thinking about like, you know, we'll start with Indianapolis. It's like Matt Ryan goes in there and it's like, what does Matt Ryan mean to this team? You know, what, what is going to change in terms of pace of play in terms of, you know, you know, pass attempts versus rush attempts, you know, who he targets, whether it be, you know, more running backs or, you know, what's going to happen in this team. And so it it made me bring up a few questions on each team where there was a new quarterback and things I was thinking, I'm sure you have some other ideas, but starting in, in Indianapolis with Matt Ryan taking over for Carson Wentz, um, just in general, what are your overall thoughts here? Uh, You think this is an upgrade for Indianapolis? I mean, I think the conventional wisdom is that it is, but what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so I think it's twofold. The first thing is Matt Ryan is an upgrade over Carson Wentz, and I think it's just accuracy, obviously, just strictly vibes. This Colts team's usually a, a pretty good team when it comes to the vibes. Last year, the vibes were just off with Carson Wentz. Uh, Matt Ryan's going to bring positive vibes there, and I think like what you said is just the offense is going to look different. Carson Wentz, they didn't want him to drop back that many times because he doesn't like throwing the underneath route. He can get himself into trouble when he's under pressure, Matt Ryan, you're not going to get that. He's such a pro inside the pocket. So I think that a couple players like in particular, Naeem Hines, he's not going to be on the field with Carson Wentz because he's not going to be checking the ball down. Uh, And with Matt Ryan back there, I think Naeem Hines can catch some more passes. I think you're going to get more of an intermediate and underneath game. They're going to be actually willing to pass the ball a little bit more. So I think that we'll talk about Michael Pittman in a second, but I think that you're just going to see, probably a little bit more passing just because they're going to trust Matt Ryan uh, a little bit more. 
Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, my concern with Matt Ryan is sometimes that sort of that spaghetti arm that we're starting to see a little bit. Um, You know, he's only a year older. You know, I hate to see attrition. I mean, I just wish these guys were great forever, of course, right? Like you hate to see it, but it's going to happen. And I wonder just how much of that we're going to see with Matt Ryan. Uh, They did bring in Big Dick Nick to ensure the backup position, it sounds like. Pour yep. one out for Sam Ellinger, or however you say his name. I kind of had him rostered in a number of dynasty leagues. That's feeling awful after the Nick Foles signing. I thought maybe they would have trusted Ellinger as the backup, but doesn't doesn't appear so, does it? No, yeah. Ellinger was interesting because if he got in there for a start or two, he could run around enough where yep. like, maybe I can get uh, a, a really cheap 18 points out of him. But yeah, I think that they're going to be going with Nick Foles, but I, I like the Nick Foles, like he, Nick Foles is Matt Ryan just at a worse level, you know? So like, yeah. I, I think that's just smart. The Colts are just a smart organization. Like they made it probably a bad mistake by trading for Carson Wentz, but they got out of it immediately. And they let everyone know they got out of it. Um, especially their owner was taking shots at Carson Wentz, but this was the upgrade that they needed. Yeah. They weren't pot committed, so to speak. They just, yep. they took their losses and, and moved forward. And it is what it is. I mean, I don't know that they, they, one with Matt Ryan, we'll see, but I think they give themselves absolutely more upside. And, and, you know, I was talking to my brother actually just before the show and he was like, you know, all this is a good team. You know, they've got a good offensive line, a great running attack, you know, a pretty good defense. I mean, I think when I talked to Evan Silver, we're talking about them being like top 10, probably. I think that's fair enough. Do you you kind of agree with that? And if they have all those things, then you don't need as much from Matt Ryan as he was doing in Atlanta where they had a bottom five, maybe certainly bottom 10 defense, probably bottom five, probably bottom one. I mean, they were yes. awful, uh, you know, and their offensive line was also kind of probably bottom 10 for sure, yes. maybe even also bottom five. And their yep. rushing attack, bottom five. Like, they were just awful. So I think all those things now change, and maybe we see a resurgence from Matt Ryan. Certainly that might be what helps Michael Pittman. My question to you, is Michael Pittman now a top 12 dynasty wide receiver? What do you think of that? Yeah, that seems a little bit aggressive, but Michael Pittman, I think is going to get a little bit more unlocked here. Michael Pittman, I think that he gets typecasted as this like downfield guy when really like his special sauce is like kind of underneath. Like if he gets a slant, he can actually get some yards after the catch. And I trust Matt Ryan to hit him on those types of passes compared to Carson Wentz. And I I, I do think that um, just the way that this, they're, kind of building this offense is obviously Jonathan Taylor is going to be a huge focal point of it, but the Alec Pierce is like the perfect number two for Michael Pittman. Alec Pierce is, I'd be pretty surprised if he was like a volume sponge in this offense, but he can help stretch the field. And that's kind of what you want. You want your number one. And then you, you want his number two to be a downfield stretcher. Cause they're not going to be getting eight, 10 targets. But I, I, I think if Michael Pittman, he can see eight targets per game this year. No problem. I think that, uh, he's going to be, I think he's one of the more underrated uh, receivers. And I think that he'll catch a couple more touchdowns this year. There's a couple of clips I was posting that was very tough. Uh, Carson Wentz overthrowing Michael Pittman in the red zone. I, I guess what I'm saying here is Michael Pittman right now is uh, the wide receiver 13 on underdog, right? So he's either overpriced there or underpriced in dynasty, because if he's the wide receiver 13 at his age, then he's a top 12 dynasty wide receiver you know what I mean because if he's going to put up borderline wide receiver one numbers this year then he's absolutely a top 12 dynasty wide receiver because yeah that he's makes young sense. yeah you know so I, I don't know where I'm at on this thing I keep moving him up in my player rankings but I am I am 
I don't know. I know Michael P. Duncan, you know, Michael P. Duncan loves some him, loves himself some Michael Pittman. But uh, I just, I wonder if we're a little too high on him redraft or a little too low on him in dynasty. What do you think of that? Yeah. So, so I think Matt Ryan's contract, and they've said this recently that they're willing to be uh, partners for the next couple seasons. So I don't think it's going to be like a one and done year like it was with Phillip Rivers. And I think that if Matt Ryan, even an aging yeah. Matt Ryan, could distribute the ball to Michael Pittman, like Matt Ryan, like you said, we're worried about his passing uh, down the sideline 25 yards downfield. Well, that's not really yeah. where Michael Pittman does a lot of his damage. You know, like a lot of it is like within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. I think that fit's going to be nice. And they already committed to Alec Pierce as their number two receiver. They use like a bunch of these tight ends, but none of these tight ends are actually very good. They're all like fine players. And so if something happens to Jonathan Taylor, like that's what I keep going. I think that's why he goes so high in best ball is if Jonathan Taylor goes down, there is a lot of touches to go around all of a sudden. Like that's 20 opportunities that open up. And I think that he would soak at least like two or three of them uh, per game. So I think that there's upside cases with Michael Pittman. The floor we've already established is pretty good. He was a wide receiver two, three last year, yep. uh, depending on kind of how the Colts were, were moving. I think this Colts team is just going to be better. And worst case, you're in the AFC South. And like those yeah. defenses will never be good. They never <laughs> right. have been good. Uh, so at least we got that going for him. You alluded to it. My next question was, who's going to be second on the Colts in total targets in 2022? Of course, outside of injury, let's just you know get yep. that. All these questions I ask are assuming health, nobody injured. But who do you think will be number two on the target totem pole in Indianapolis? So I think it's kind of a cheap answer, but I think there's going to be three players that are pretty clustered. I think it's going to be Alec Pierce, Jonathan Taylor, and Naeem Hines. Hmm. I would say we have to throw away Naeem Hines' stats from last year. I think that we're already seeing uh, some some clips from OTAs that they're going to get Naeem Hines more involved. And I'm actually buying these reports just because Matt Ryan has thrown the ball to his running backs quite frequently. And I think Naeem Hines is one of the best uh, receivers in the, in the game at the running back position. They can actually use him a little bit outside. But I think some of those third downs are probably not going to want to get Jonathan Taylor 28 touches per game. I'd probably see that number come down a couple. And I think that Naeem Hines is going to get on the field. But I, I do think that Alec Pierce is interesting he's still pr- ranked pretty low on underdog but it's starting to tick up a little bit i think that alec pierce is somebody that could get 70 80 targets this year and i think that in best ball in particular just the way that he wins downfield contested catches uh he can be a red zone guy i think that he's at least somewhat interesting i don't think maybe in redraft he'll ever be like a top 36 guy um but i think that he'll have some spike weeks because he's got all the opportunity in the world Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I am sort of a Paris Campbell believer. I think he was efficient when he was playing. He just hasn't played much because he's been hurt immediately. And that's why I said assuming health. Like if I tell you that Paris Campbell is healthy for 17 games this year, which by the way, would be a miracle in and of itself. But uh, so don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that he will be, but if I were to tell you that, how would you feel about, him in this offense so the one problem that paris campbell has i don't see him being a two wide receiver set player i think that True. he is slot only that's just kind of how he's been u- utilized and even if he is staying healthy that their coaching staff's probably gonna be like all right let's make sure he's on the field for 75 percent of the snaps not all 100 uh, percent so right there's there, i think there's some ceiling concerns with paris campbell and that's why i have him ranked uh, behind Alec Pierce, and, and there's a pretty big gap between the two because if Alec Pierce is healthy and is he if, and he proves to be worthy of a second round pick, he's going to be the the wide receiver that's going to be in the two tight end sets. And this offense historically has utilized two tight ends pretty frequently, and they have like 
I mean, they're tight end depth chart. They're, they're lacking like a true number one talent, but they have got like three or four names that yeah. are pretty interesting. I think they're going to get a, a lot of rotation, then throw in uh, Naeem Hines with Jonathan Taylor. All of a sudden, there's just fewer opportunities for that third wide receiver to get involved. So I'm going to take my chances on Alec Pierce, but I, I, I am with you. Whenever Paris Campbell is out there, like he is, he's catching my eye just for fantasy purposes, low A dot, probably not going to be on the field in, in the red zone packages. I don't see how there's like a, an elite ceiling with him. All right. So this one, this one's a bonus question. This one's for the listeners of the show and for Michael P. Duncan. If you had to bet a hundred bucks on which wide receiver will score more fantasy points this year, Michael Strachan or Ashton Doolin, who you got? Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's uh, a good one. I would need, yeah. I would probably go Strachan. So there is a hundred dollar bet. There is a hundred dollar bet on the line. It's me and Michael P. Duncan. So your choice is a huge one. It's a real hundred dollar bet. Well, so, I, my problem is, I just did this depth chart column, and what I was doing with it is I don't do like full depth charts all the way through. I do starting lineups depending on the personnel and like how often a team's using uh, three wide receiver sets versus two wide receiver sets and all that stuff. Yeah. So once you start getting into these names, I'm like, Oh boy, that's going to come down to the depth charts. We'll figure that out in the preseason. You, you're, you obviously know more th- than I do with this stuff. What's, what's the call here? Well, Michael P Duncan has trash can and I have Ashton Duel on the all pro. Okay. okay. There it is. Fair Thank enough. You. Yeah. I mean, he's going with the trash can over an all pro player. It doesn't make any sense, but I, I did, uh, I paid him his hundred bucks on another bet we had. I think I, what did I, it was like that he couldn't spell Segway. And he spelled it immediately. Uh, unbelievable. Um, so yeah, I, I lost a hundred bucks just because Michael P. Duncan can spell Segway. What a what a what a loser I am. I mean, I'm looking at Ashton Doolin right now. He caught 13 passes last year. Seems like a lot. <laughs> yeah, this bet is amazing. You guys gonna be sweating out like fourth quarter games. This is great. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, this was true. To truth be told, this was before the Alec Pierce pick. So one mm-hmm. of these guys might have been able to sneak in there and right. like make himself viable. Especially because Paris Campbell was gonna get hurt already. We knew these things, right? We we're trying to tell the future. Uh, maybe Alec Pierce is good. Maybe he isn't. I mean, you know, I love these uh, tight ends. We'll get there. Who do you think's the best value on this team? I think I already know the answer, but. Uh, who, who do you think is the best value in any format? You can talk dynasty or, um, uh, you know, it sounds like it's, I think I know who it is. I'm going to, I'm going Naeem Hines yeah, with this one. It. And it, it's just because there's a couple things. Like I, I think that there's a chance. I'm not, I don't think it's very likely, but I think there's a chance he could have like a JD McKissick's type of season where he catches 60, 70 passes again. And that, I think some of these types of backs get overrated in a lot of these things. Like everyone's like hoping for the James white season and like, yeah that James White season, first of all, he's attached to Tom Brady. Go look at those wide receiver depth charts. Like Chris Hogan was their number one. Like obviously yeah. James White was going to catch all these passes. Uh, so I think that we overrate those types, but I do think that Naeem Hines is at least stocky enough where if Jonathan Taylor misses time, I think Naeem Hines would get 14 carries. Maybe, maybe the goal line work. I mean, he's dealing with Philip Lindsay, which I don't think is, is that big of a deal. Um, and I think that if, if Jonathan Taylor misses time, Naeem Hines going to catch a ton of passes. He's going to be a focal point of this offense. So I think that you have like outs where like we could be ranking Naeem Hines like the RB12 in a couple weeks this year. Um, so just with that upside alone, I think that we got to go with Naeem Hines here. Yeah, and, and you make a good point about the and, – and I didn't appreciate it very much, uh, but the possibility of a JT injury certainly changes that team tremendously because he is certainly the focal point of the team. 
and does have a certain gravity to him that makes this team better. But if he were to go down, the team would change dramatically because there's no more JT. Therefore, they would be more pass heavy, almost certainly. And therefore, uh, Naheem Hines and his usage could dramatically change as well. So very good point. Also, game script. Look, they could be they could be losing more, but I, I think they're going to be still a run play action team. And I think it's probably pretty concentrated. One of the guys I really like, and it sounds like you, I'm not sure how you feel about this guy. You're a prospect guy. You go way back, uh, you know, for many years uh, doing rookie prospects. One of the guys I really liked uh, in the way that I scout tight ends is Jelani Woods. It looked like the NFL sort of agreed with me or, you know, I, I agreed with them, I guess, because they took him as the tight end two off the board, which I did not see coming. Um, You know, I wasn't sure that that was going to happen. But sure enough, it did. They took him, I think it was like pick 77. That's very, very high draft capital for a tight end. You mentioned it's a pretty shallow tight end depth chart. Should we be excited about Jelani Woods or maybe just next year? Yeah, so I think that he's probably going to be a dynasty guy, not a best ball guy. But I am with you. The draft capital is the stat that matters the most for the prospects. And he did get it. He was a 76, uh, 72nd percentile prospect. In my model, all of that is athleticism, obviously off the charts, yes. athleticism. He also was like kind of changing positions, kind of had a very weird college profile. Yes. So I think some of if you're just like going to completely discount uh, his his like market share numbers or whatever uh, production stat you want want to throw out there, I think there is at least some upside case where like they there's all these external things that were happening with him. It would be much worse if he was like a tight end through and through the same college, and then in the fifth year he had 300 yards. Like that's the the profile that I'm like, okay, I'm out on that player. His profile is a little bit different where you're like, maybe something was just weird was happening. All of a sudden Jelani Woods with the athleticism pops off. So uh, this is an offense that uses this position, but they do have Kylan Granson, Mo Cox. They have been rotating this group historically. So I think Jelani Woods would probably be in a rotation unless he's like much better than we all assume. But you can at least, you can at least tell yourself the story of the upside case. And when it comes to the tight end position, like, that's all that matters. Like we're just hoping that he's like the next Logan Thomas here. We're not expecting him to be George Kittle. Right. I mean, it, it, of course. I mean, you know, the, 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 the elite Kelsey Kittle Gronk type tight ends, we didn't see them coming either. It's not like we drafted them, you know, 1.01 in rookie drafts. Yeah. That's not how those went either. Uh, Kelsey took a year where he did nothing. Like this happens all the time. I remember George Kittle cause I was a huge Kittle fan uh, certainly a win for me in dynasty because, you know, I had, I was able to get him so cheap after his rookie year. He was also not, you know, I mean, he had a lot of big plays by the way, but he was, he was still outside the top 10 in dynasty in terms of tight ends after his rookie year. So yeah, you're right. And I think the same thing with Jelani Woods. It's not like we can expect him to just be like a pro immediately. I always say the tight end position is the toughest one to learn because you basically have to be a tackle, a wide yep. receiver, a slot player. You know, you, you need to learn a lot. Running game, passing game, the whole thing. Pass block, run block, absolutely incredible. Puts a tremendous toll on your body as well. So, yeah, don't expect too much, but I do love Jelani Woods. Um, moving on, the next team, you know, Matt Ryan's old team. Now the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, oh boy, yeah, right, man. <laughs> Holy smokes, what a shit show, right? Yeah, it's 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 they're down bad over there. They had to blow it up. I'm glad that they did it. Uh, I think Mark. I'm glad Marcus Mariota got. I mean, we'll get to him in a second. I'm glad he got another opportunity. He's he's at least somewhat exciting compared to like if it was like Nick Foles. I can't do another Nick Foles season. You know, like I've right. seen it enough. At least Marcus Mariota, like maybe he can have like a Ryan Tannehill type resurgence. We'll see. I, I mean, the only problem here, Hayden, is like if you could say okay. 
what's the worst possible situation we could put Marcus Mariota in? It'd be like, oh, maybe Atlanta. Like, you know, this is about as bad as it can be. So I really feel bad for him because, you know, he went through a lot. I think it was after the game a couple years ago when he went in and like played well. And then they were like, they interviewed him. He was like, dude, I was a broken man, a broken football player, broken, broken. And I'm so glad to be back. And like he clearly through his commentary went through like some tough times. You know, oh, yeah. emotionally, he's a young man, you know, and, and this shit happens. These guys are human. We forget that. So now let's say he's back as a human. Poor son of a bitch has to go play in Atlanta. Like yeah. that offensive line isn't good. The defense bad. No running backs. I mean, he does have Kyle Pitts and Drake London, but my, oh my, what a tough spot for him to be in. And then he's going to have the sort of the auspice of Des- Desmond Ritter behind him, who obviously this kid's coming in with a lot of, you know, uh, uh, confidence and thinks he should be the starter. What did he, didn't he promise a Super Bowl or something like that? There's a there's a lot of like Desmond Ritter quotes out there. He's probably got more uh, yeah. quotes from him in the offseason than any third round quarterback I I could remember. This is this is pretty interesting. But everyone seems to love him. Yeah, right. I mean, he's coming in Super Bowl coming. Like, oh, holy shit, dude! You're a third round pick. Like, yeah. maybe start one game. Yes. Um. But yeah. So speaking of which. What's the over-under on Mariota starts before we see Ritter? I think he's going to get most of the season. I, I would say 13, 14, like maybe like wow, the last okay. month of the season. Because uh, I think Marcus Mariota can can handle his business uh, enough. Uh, and I think Desmond Ritter, there's – he, he was somewhat pro-ready because they ran a lot of pro-style concepts and can kind of run the RPO a little bit. And he's got some good athleticism. The, the reason why he fell, though, is just – he was so inaccurate and like there are some footwork issues that he has to get cleaned up and he's kind of got a long throwing motion just because he's a really lengthy player, big feet, those type of things where I'm not sure if that's going to get fixed in one, uh, one off season. I think that the third round draft capital isn't quite enough to make sure that he gets up there. I think that they're probably going to let Marcus Mariota take this out, but now if they're in their, they're two and 10 or something like that, then things get rolled out the window. I think the Falcons could probably going to be, a five-win team, four-win team. So maybe you get a couple of starts at the very end. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about this too, is like they're going to be bad. It's whether or not the coaching staff, front office, and fan base have the sort of tolerance to being terrible, right? Yeah. Because if they have the tolerance, they'll be like, no, Mariota's cool. He's doing fucking best he can. But if they're like all upset that they're losing for some strange reason, which they ought not be, then there could be some Desmond Ritter sort of, um, you know, uh, pressure to play Desmond Ritter is exactly that man that was the that was my prospect profile on him was like this kid is no tools all intangibles you know what I mean like really he's he's as intangible as they get like he's walking in thinking he's the greatest in the world which I don't know man you know I mean I've seen stranger things like you know sometimes you know the whole reason we're not good at evaluating quarterbacks as a as a you know a group of people, all, every human is because there's so much intangible locked up into their success rate. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, you don't know if the guy's going to be made like Tom Brady or, or Ryan leaf. You just don't know. You don't, yep. I mean, someone knows, but we all, all of us yeah, we don't can't know. See it. We don't interview him. Yeah. And even if you interview him, it doesn't like tell you the answer. Yes. You know, a guy can just tell you I'm a tough motherfucker. And then he's yeah. not, you know I mean? Yep. It, you know, so at the end of the day, Ritter is sort of that thing, presumably, but man, oh man, the tool, the toolbox is not all there. Um, I think he's going to be an offensive coordinator in the NFL, like yeah. 12 years from now, like better odds of being a starting quarterback or offensive coordinator. <laughs> Give me the offensive coordinator. Right. Oh my God. 
God bless us, Desmond Ritter OC. Um, you know, but that now, that conversation leads us to the weapons because there's some dope weapons. I mean, Kyle Pitts. Yep. Look, Kyle Pitts went 1,100 yards in one touchdown. I don't think he – I think we've seen his lowest career total, single-season touchdown total in, you know, for his career, right? That's a lot, and, yeah. Right? And so, okay, so now what happens? Does he – I think I, I asked it, does Kyle Pitts blow up or disappoint? And I don't think there's any in between, right? Yeah, so I think that obviously he's the touchdown regression candidate. Everyone yes. knows it. I just posted this on Twitter uh, this week. He had the worst touchdowns over expected of any player in the NFL last year. He scored just about five touchdowns less than we would expect him to based off of where his targets go. And obviously that's not a Kyle Pitts problem. We know what Kyle Pitts can do right. down there. So that's going to regress up and then – uh, the other part is uh, I was looking at uh, Kyle Pitts yards per out run versus man coverage. And this okay. is super important for Kyle Pitts because he is more of a wide receiver than he is a tight end. He was top 10 in yards per out run versus man coverage, not just of tight ends of all positions as a rookie, as a 21 yeah. year old rookie. Like, so like, I, I don't, I think we've already solidified that Kyle Pitts is going to be like an elite, elite player. I think for fantasy purposes this year, he's a top five on underdog rankings, totally there with them. I'm not sure if I'd see like, this like elite tight end season coming this year, just because of the structure of the offense. But I think we're talking about six touchdowns, a thousand yards. And that is like pretty solid tight end production. And I think that a couple years from now, like if they do get one of these top, like CJ Stroud with Kyle Pitts in like yeah. 2024, Ooh. now we're talking about like 1400 yards, 10 touchdown type of years. Yeah. I mean, he saw 110 targets over a thousand yards and one touchdown just really That's crazy. Yeah. Just crazy. You just 110 targets from a, you know, a six, six tight end who plays all over the field to get one touchdown is, I mean, it's a riddle. That being said, you know, um, I, I am, I, I, I love Pitts going forward here. You know, he's a monster. Um, what about, what about, uh, Drake London? Um, you know, Drake London right now is like my. It, it, I I I heard your uh, rankings and he's your player one overall. Him and Brees Hall are your are your um, tier one players. I, I don't hate that, and I don't hate going Drake London even over Brees Hall. I think it's probably build specific in yep. dynasty. Generally speaking, I do like to take the running backs ahead, but that's a topic for another day. I think what this tells me is that you and I see Drake London very similarly as the. I don't know about clear, but certainly, surely the top wide receiver in this rookie class. What's his sort of floor and ceiling for targets, though, in 2022? I mean, where are you sort of penciling in Drake London? I think 100 targets, if he stays healthy. I think 125 targets is within the range of outcomes. My comp for Drake London is Michael Thomas. And I think they're going to be used very similarly, obviously, uh, coming with Terry Fontenot. I'm sure Terry Fontenot saw some Michael Thomas in Drake London as a prospect, 98th percentile in my model. The guy was unbelievable last year. Yes. He only played eight games. I think that's why people are kind of sleeping on this, but he averaged 135 yards per game. That is absurd production. And what what's really interesting about him is that he kind of gets billed as this like slow, Nikhil Harry, J.J. Arcega, white side down, uh, down the field guy. Uh, yes, he can moss people. But the USC threw him 3.75 screens per game, which huh. is off the charts. You're only doing that if he has fluidity, which he does. Uh, so he, his production was off the charts. Good. I think that he's going to be a volume hog type of player. I can see Devontae Adams at the very top of the, the ceiling. Um, 
but I think he's going to be more of a Michael Thomas, like possession receiver will play X will play big slot. And I think that he could be a volume hog, especially the way that uh, this offense is designed. So I, even as a rookie, I'm very intrigued with Drake London. I think that the, um, his dynasty uh, projection looks really solid just because they're going to add to the quarterback position. They'll probably trade Calvin Ridley. Who knows if they're going to even invest uh, into pass catchers anymore because they just spent two top 10 picks the last two seasons on these two. So I think it's going to be a new quarterback just with these two receivers, and they're going to basically punt off the rest of the wide receiver group. So Drake London's in an excellent spot, and I, I think that he's an excellent prospect. I, I don't think he's Mike, Mike Evans, but I think he's Michael Thomas. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. I think he's closer to Michael Thomas than Michael Mike Mike Evans. Michael Evans. Uh, yeah, whoever the hell Michael Evans is, he's closer <laughs> to Michael Thomas than that guy too. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think he probably does have a little bit of that, you know, outside go get it type player too. And and you're right with this uh, quarterback, uh, you know, uh, uh, situation. I don't think there's going to be too much of that for him. So I think you're right. Um, don't forget too. Uh, the the thing with Drake London. First of all, he had a he had a rookie season that was outstanding. He played with Michael Pittman, Amon Ra, St. Brown, Tyler Vaughns yep. as a as a as a freshman, and still put up basically forty catches, five touchdowns, and almost six hundred yards on fourteen and a half. He led that group in terms of yards per catch. Like he was the most explosive out of the out of that group in that rookie in his freshman season. The second season was the COVID shortened season and the third season was an injury shortened season. So his sort of box score doesn't get as, as wow uh, factor as it should, but it really is amazing. He's basically a hundred yards per game in his career in college, which is really, really good uh, because most freshmen don't ever see anything close to that. I mean, he's only played 22 games and he's got 2,200 yards receiving 15 touchdowns. He was absolutely dominant and he was dominant with great players around him. This is why he vaulted to my wide receiver one. Looks like the NFL agreed, which only uh, strengthened my take on him. So I do like Drake London quite a bit. A little bit worried about his sort of efficiency for 2022, but I think the uh, the, the, the floor, that's why I kind of asked the question that way, because I think yeah. the floor for targets is there. I just don't see any way that he doesn't see 100 targets if he's healthy the whole season. Am I? Uh, uh, is that is that about right? I think it's totally right. I have him as like a wide receiver three with upside this year. He's yeah. my 64th overall player um, in best ball rankings this season. So I think I'm right there with you. And going back to the, I always use per game stats when I'm looking at my prospects. I think there's you kind of discount some of these players that had tough injury luck, like Drake London. Like, I mean, he scored a touchdown when he broke his leg. Uh, he scored a touchdown uh, on that. That just kind of shows what type of player. And he was playing basketball. Those those early seasons you're talking about, he was hooping at USC as well. So there's there's a big ceiling there. I think just if you go watch him on these screens, like watch how much he can bend, change direction, and finish with with power. Like you don't see that with your like downfield JJ Arcega white side. Like Jalen Rager is the same thing, a downfield player, but they never threw him screens. Like when you get this rare profile where you're a downfield threat, and you're working in the screen game like that is how you get these like monster uh, fantasy ceilings coming at you. Yeah. And Drake London also just to add to the cherry on top, six, four two thirteen, and not beast. yet 21 years old. So beast. Yeah. Beast. Absolutely love it. I'm with you. It's, it's so much fun to have him on your dynasty roster. Feel free to pick him as soon as you'd like to in your rookie draft. Um, one of my former, uh, you know, sort of loves in, in, in rookie drafts, Brian Edwards got traded there. 
obviously we just talked about the two absolute monsters in terms of Pitts and London. They're going to certainly lead the team in targets. It's unquestioned. What do you think the role is for uh, Brian Edwards and, and, and can he still matter in fantasy football? Yeah, I, I would be pretty surprised. He's going to be uh, battling with Auden Tate for that kind of outside spot. Olamide Zacchaeus is in there, but Olamide Zacchaeus is tiny. Like, he doesn't like, yeah. he's not exactly competing with Brian Edwards. His primary competition is Auden Tate. They basically trade him for like a fifth round pick. Yep. Um, so I, I got very low expectations for him. I guess you can pick him in best ball if you wanted to. And Dynasty is clearly rostered, but the offense is going to basically going to keep Kyle Pitts and Drake London involved. I'd be pretty surprised if there's another wide receiver. And the other like big caveat here with this offense is I think they're still trying to debate what quarter quarter Patterson is going to be doing this year. Like he had like the biggest transformation last year where he was on early down grinder. They used him as a third down back. But in the first couple of weeks of the season, he was playing wide receiver. Like who knows what CPAT's going to do. CPAT starts playing a little bit more wide receiver this year all of a sudden there's no room for Brian Edwards to even get on the field. So I think that he's, he's still facing an, uh, an uphill battle, but I think at least resetting, at least maybe for like 2023, he has at least a chance to be uh, an outside receiver with a decent quarterback. But I think the Cordell Patterson stuff is like another bump in the road for Brian Edwards. Yeah. I mean, uh, Marcus Mosier sent a, a, a tweet out. It was, uh, you know, he looked at 21 uh, data it was carries plus targets. So those were opportunities, uh, big plays per opportunity at the wide receiver position. And I looked and I was like, just kind of peeking. And of course it was like Gabriel Davis right at the top. Yeah. Fucking stud. No, yep. Donovan Peoples Jones, Tyler Lockett, Debo Samuel. It's like, Oh, okay. Uh, CD lamb was up there, uh, with 24 big plays out of 129, uh, looks so to speak. So rushes and, um, uh, receptions, but, one of the guys that was right up at the top was, was Brian Edwards. Um, and, and it made me start to think like, yeah, that, that does jive with what I saw, you know, cause every now and again, it'd be like Derek Carr would make a big play and be like, who was that? Was that Waller? And you're like, fuck, that was, that was Edwards big play. You know, he had a bunch of big opportunities. He just didn't have a lot of opportunities. That's why I'm wondering in this offense, if he does sort of win that, that sort of third target on the totem pole spot. And if he can see closer to 100 targets, somewhere closer, you know, it may be, uh, he may be relevant. I guess I'm, I'm just happy to take him at his cost right now, especially yeah, in dynasty sure. where you, know, you can afford to kind of see what happens and, and maybe sell at a profit if you don't believe in him or ride him out if you do believe in him. But I, I I'm, I'm a little intrigued with Brian, Brian Edwards. It could just be my crush, uh, dying hard. Well, he had, I mean, through two seasons, he's averaging 10.3 yards per target. That's pretty damn good. That's goes right. to the explosive plays thing. And I mean, when you're competing against Auden Tate, I mean, I know Ian Harditz loves the guy, but Auden Tate is, has been a number four receiver for his entire life. So I'm guessing Brian Edwards, when I when I did my my depth chart here, I have it Drake London, Brian Edwards, Olamide Zacchaeus, and three wide receiver sets. And I think in two wide receiver sets, it's probably going to be Brian Edwards over Holy media Zacchaeus. So you're in yeah. like the best ball spiked week kind of territory here, but I think he's going to need an injury to, to Drake London to, to be in our lives. But the cost is baked in like nobody wants Brian Edwards at this point. So I no. think the cost is, is definitely I mean, I, worth acquiring. I do. I, do. Yes. I will. How about the, the offense when they go uh pits, London, Auden Tate, Brian Edwards, like line that up. Yeah, just go the biggest. Uh, they they also have Anthony Ferkser back in, back in uh, the lineup. They can, they have like a bunch of six foot four guys if they want to get out there. 
yeah, I mean, you know, hey, if you're going to have inaccurate quarterbacks, might as well have guys who can, you know, velociraptors yeah, right. out there who can just go get it. So, well, let's move on to Denver, where, you know, a lot of people probably thought we'd start new quarterbacks, new places. This is the exciting one. This is the one that everybody's talking about, too. The Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson and what does this mean? You know, the one thing I just can't seem to get my head around is, you know, is the Cortland Sutton thing. I'll ask you first. We've got some some questions about Cortland Sutton, but I'm going to ask you straight up, is Cortland Sutton an elite NFL wide receiver? Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on what the definition of elite is. I would say yeah. no, but I think that he's at least a high-quality number two receiver with, like, number one traits. Now it's just yeah. been, like, a consistency issue with him, even going back to his college days. Uh, where you can see the spiked weak players, but is he ever going to be able to put it all together? Last year, he was like completely unusable, yeah. uh, and the offense was a total disaster. Now, so now this year, you're talking about they've already paid Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy's another breakout candidate. Everyone seems to love Albert O. People ha- have big crushes on KJ Hamler, so it's like, how is this offense? Like, how many pass attempts are they going to have? Is it the the new That's Russell right. Wilson offense that we're hoping for, the let Russ cook offense, or is it going to be the same old Russ offense where maybe there's I mean, historically it's been two wide receivers and nobody else? So, uh, very interesting. He it's the Jerry Judy versus Cortland Sutton debates are very tough to figure out. I have it Jerry Judy and then Cortland Sutton back to back, and then I'm looking at ADPs and underdog, and it's Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton back to back as well there. So it's. It's those two, and, and I think a big part of this uh, Corlin Sutton debate is what's the evaluation on Jerry Judy? Because the prospect evaluation on Jerry Judy was amazing, and then in yeah. the NFL, because of uh, bad quarterback play, he had a high ankle sprain, he had some drop issues. I mean, you look at the efficiency numbers of Jerry Judy, and they're pretty bad. So is it is there more context to that? How much are we reading into that? So there's a lot of moving parts with the Broncos. Somebody's going to pop off here. I think it's a coin flip between Jerry Judy and Corlin Sutton. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, I just think that when we look at Cortland Sutton, um, you know, he's the wide receiver 24 on underdog last I checked. Yep. The thing I don't get is in dynasties, the wide receiver 38 on sleeper. Um, you know, I looked at like keep trade cut in dynasty. He was the wide receiver 33. Either way, like I, I guess wider wide receiver 24 on underdog I can get with like, but if he is that even, even if that's accurate, then he's got to be better than the wide receiver 38 in Dynasty. I just think he's an absolute buy in Dynasty. He's still not old. Um, he's not young. He's starting to reach the age apex, but he's also reaching that age apex while getting Russell Wilson as his quarterback while being two years removed from an ACL. I mean, you know, the year before his ACL, he was he was excellent, and he did that with Drew Locke. He hurts himself. He's out a year. Last year was, as you point out, a throwaway year for the offense and certainly for the passing game. They did nothing in the passing game. Nobody did anything. Yep. Um, like literally, right? There was nobody worth anything in that passing game, not the quarterback and none of the receivers. Now you bring in Russell Wilson, one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the history of the game. Not not like recently, ever. He's very efficient. As you point out, if they let him cook, there's going to be some fantasy goodness to go around. I think it was... Nick Ercolano, actually. Yeah, I was listening to Nick Ercolano's pod, and he was mentioning how Russell Wilson, since 2015 or 16, has never had his number one receiver not be a top 15 wide receiver. Like, he's always had a top 15 wide receiver in his offense, even if you say they didn't let him cook, whether it was, you know, Lockett, DK, whoever it was, right, since that 15. So 
that means that we should see one of these guys get into the wide receiver one conversation. As you point out, is it Judy? Is it Sutton? I don't know. It's probably one of those two guys, and it could be both. It could be a, a Lockett DK situation where they're both there. Um, one way or the other, I think this team could be very, very good. We have talked about the Broncos this whole time, and we've yet to mention Javante Williams, who's also, uh, you know, the darling. You know, th- what's interesting about this Denver team is someone's going to disappoint. <laughs> I mean, somebody's oh, yeah. got to. Yeah, this it, it's really interesting because of the, going back to the, the Jerry Judy thing is. I'm trying to figure out like who's going to be like the Devonte Adams type of player, and does like Russell Wilson even target a Devonte Adams type of player? Because to me, though, those like going back to those DK Metcalf days, that's play action deep shots, and that's right. that, that's Cortland Sutton right there. Like he yes. is a miniature version of DK Metcalf, just like the type of ways that they win. And then Jerry Judy could do some of the Devonte Adams screen game stuff. Like there's a ton of tunnel and bubble screens. That's what Devonte Adams shreds at, and that's what this offense could be about so i'm very conflicted with one of them i i think i like Cortland sutton maybe a tad more but if we get positive reports from from jerry judy this this offseason later on if he clears up this this legal stuff then I, I can be sold either way i think they go really high in best ball because it's like a team to stack and stacking is super important and you yeah. obviously want russell wilson you can even if you miss out on one of those two dk or uh uh kj hamler Albert O and Tim Patrick are all like kind of easy options to stack. So I think they get inflated a little bit. And then Javante Williams is like very conflicted because I think that he, he has some, some limitations. Like he was very inexperienced rushing uh, these zone concepts last year. Melvin Gordon was much better at it, but at the same exact time you watch Javante Williams, even when he's not hitting the right hole, he's still making guys miss. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, if he just just cleans that up, then all of a sudden, what are, what are we getting here? So uh, I think Javante Williams, he's like on the round two, three border on underdog. I think that's totally appropriate. And Melvin's this is going to be his last year with the, with the Broncos and it's probably going to be more of a 60 40 split in favor of Javante rather than like that 60 40 split in favor of Melvin like it was last year. Yeah. It almost I, last year. I mean, it was pretty close to 50 50 last yeah, year, as you point out. I mean, it was so amazing. Like they'd both have, you'd look at the box where you'd be like 12 carries, 12 carries, 53 yep. yards, 52 yards. You'd be like, what the fuck targets three, three targets, four targets. It was like, yep. it was so maddening. You're like, I just want, I want a Denver running back is what I want. That's what I want in dynasty or fantasy, excuse me. And uh, I think you're right. I think this year it just pulls a little bit closer to 70, 30 from the 50, 50 where I don't know. Does it end up, you know, 62, 40, whatever, you know, I don't know where it ends up, but I think it's going to be in that range, right? It's going to go closer somewhere between 60, 40, 70, 30, I think probably closer to 60, 40, but even, you know, uh, 60 to 65 percent of the running back opportunity in this offense with the talent they have and the Russell Wilson efficiency I still think uh, Javante can be a big play obviously if either of them get hurt the other one is is a is, is huge uh, it's very likely that one of them get hurts so their running back but um, but that being said I, I you know that brings me to the question do you think this is a top 10 NFL offense or better yeah, I think it will be like right on that mark. I, I would say that they will be a top 10 offense. There's just, there's such a floor because the offensive line is at least decent and they have so many wide receivers, so many tight ends. We haven't even talked about Greg Dolchich yet and two running backs and they go so deep that the floor of this team is is rock solid and they're going to be in shootouts in this division Bingo. like crazy. So Bingo. Uh, I, I'm, 
I'm with it. I understand why the prices are the way that they are. Uh, I mean, this is one of the most expensive offenses in all of uh, underdog drafts right now, but I, I totally understand why. And it's a very easy team to stack. And I think that's the big thing here is grab Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton and then draft Russell Wilson. And then l- later on, you can pick your poison between Alberto, Tim Patrick, who I think is a little bit underrated just because Agreed. people, I mean, they just paid him. Like, yep, they did good money like last last year. So like, yep. I think that we can't just put that away. I think we're trying to like vault KJ Hamler on the field where like, they already committed to these top three guys where yeah. I think it's going to be those three guys. I think Tim Patrick actually is somebody that kind of uh, meshes up well with Russell Wilson's strengths. Like Russell Wilson's uh, underneath quick game needs a lot of work. And I don't think that it's like a lot of work's going to ever happen. He would have already done it to me. He's like that downfield pass or beautiful deep balls. There's Tim Patrick for you. So I think like Tim Patrick at the very end of your rosters to me makes a lot of sense. I think Tim Patrick is like probably one of the most underrated players in the NFL like you know and clearly Denver doesn't think he's underrated because they paid him and I think he clearly plays ahead of KJ Hamler I'm with you 100% I think it's those three I think it's uh you know Patrick Sutton and Judy absolutely 100% I asked on the show sheet and of course my listeners are all cringing waiting for you to answer this one do you see Albert O as a breakout candidate or as a bust potential so I don't think there's going to be room for Albert O. Like we were hoping that Noah Fant was going to get this. And I think Noah Fant is like a much better player than Albert O. I think Albert O has like some some stealing here just because he's such a good athlete. But uh, I think Albert O is probably going to be that touchdown or bust tight end one, two. Like they'd probably be ranked the tight end 13 every week. And when the Broncos are projected to score 29 points against the Chargers, he's going to be like, the punt play uh, in DFS circles. I think that's where he's probably going to max out at. I mean, we're talking very positively about Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, and Jerry Judy. It's hard to like be too optimistic about the tight end position as well. So um, I I can see him getting steamed up to a price where it doesn't make too much sense, but he's clearly going to take a step forward. Um, I'm guessing he's going to be about like that tight end 14, somewhere around there. Yeah, right now, uh, I, I did a, a piece on, on Alberto uh, for draft kit, and he, he's going off at the tight end 17 almost everywhere. I think he's the tight end 17 on underdog right now, unless there's been some movement in the last week or so since I did my uh, little blurb. And um, yeah, I just think he's so efficient. Um, you know, he was, he was, you know, yards per target was 8.3 last year, which was really good. And, you know, he, he, he seemed to have a very good target rate when he was on the field last year. Again, that doesn't necessarily uh, carry over because it's a new quarterback, new coaching staff. I get all that, but I think that they certainly valued him enough to let Noah Fant go in the Russell Wilson trade. I think if they felt like Alberto wasn't capable of handling tight end one duties, they weren't like, Oh, don't worry. We're just going to draft some rookie. It'll be fine. Like that Dulcich wasn't in that conversation when they made that trade. With Albert O, I, I, I see the floor and I, I'm I'm aware of it. But I think if you're drafting any sort of tight ends after like tight end ten or twelve, Albert O clearly to me has the highest ceiling. And for me, drafting tight ends, especially maybe not in, in best ball, but certainly in redraft, all I care about is ceiling. And in dynasty too. Like what the hell do you care about? You know, there's such a muted difference between like tight end six to tight end twenty two, like at the end of yep. the season, you know? It's like all these guys are like, ah, whatever, a point apart. So all you're looking for is the next George Kittle. I'm not saying that Albert O is the next George Kittle. I'm just saying that if you're going to pick 
who who you think could be out of that group, it's Alberto. Yeah, if I said Alberto's going to catch eight touchdowns this year, like that, like I'm not projecting that, but he no. easily could in this offense. If, we, if I said right. they're projected for 27 points per game, like he has yes. at least uh, that type of ceiling there, and he was a good prospect coming out. He went later in the draft than we were kind of hoping for, fourth round. Yeah, like he was very productive for multiple seasons there, uh, and he's got like the the build. Like we're not talking about like. I hate falling in love with like the 6'4, 230 pound tight end. You know, we're like, yes. man, like, what exactly are we actually getting here? He's 6'5, 260. You know, like, yes. he is in line or in the slot. Um, so we'll see. Um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I, th- yeah. I think he's going to be touchdown or bust, but at least he has like touchdown upside. I think a lot of the other touchdown or bust tight ends, they're like on teams that are projected for like 23 points, and that's not that fun. Yeah, the negative, and, and I'll finish on this, the negative for Alvaro is the target squeeze, you know, because uh, Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, we just said Sutton, Judy, Patrick, Hamler, Dulcich now, like there is a target squeeze. However, as you know, uh, Hayden, when you do your projections, you can't just project the tight ends out or the t- running backs out because you don't like them. There's a certain amount of targets that will invariably go to tight ends, even if the tight ends suck. You know what I mean? Yep. It's not like, oh, yeah, they have shitty tight ends. They'll never target a tight end. No, it's not going to happen. They're going to have 55 shitty tight end targets. You know what I mean? So, like, they're going to throw to somebody at the tight end position. And, you know, if it's Alberto, wheels up. I mean, you know, last year, Noah Fant saw 90 targets, Alberto with 40. You know, I'm saying if, if Dulcich sees 30 and Alberto sees 80, well, yeah. that's. You know, that's kind of that's what I'm expecting right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, fine. perfect. There we are. We did it. Um, <laughs> moving on. We do. You, by the way, you do like Greg Dulcich. You want to mention him? Yeah, he might be the best UCLA prospect to come out since MJD on, on among the skill players like they they keep busting with Josh, uh, Joshua Kelly, Josh Rose and all of them. I think that Greg Dulcich yeah. is actually the one that actually might be pretty good. Whenever yeah. he was playing USC, he was running down the middle of the field uh, for 80 yard touchdowns. So. Uh, I think he's a very athletic player. He's a little bit undersized. He needs to to work on that, but he got after it in the run game for somebody of his uh, physique. And I think that um, he's basically the new Alberto. Um, going back to oh, the last thing I want to say is yeah. the, during the the Russell Wilson trade, they had to trade one of these young players to make it kind of work. And the two players, it was Noah Fan or Jerry Judy. And they kind of had to make the Ooh. decision, the Broncos, on which one you were going to get rid of. And they opted to get rid of Noah Fan. So I think that was probably a little bit of a positive um, for Alberto, but just the way that the trade was going to work out, they had to at least give somebody, it was Bradley Chubb or, or Jerry Judy or Noah fan. They uh, ended up shipping off uh, Noah fan. Well, out of those three, they made the right choice, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know what to do with, with, with Chubb because he has like this monster ceiling, but it just hasn't worked out with injuries. And Noah fan was a little bit um, older than, than Jerry Judy. So yeah, I get it. While we're here, uh, Noah Fant, what about Seattle? Just real quick. I mean, just to, just to touch on them for a sec. What do you think about Noah Fant and Seattle? I mean, this is a very interesting team. If they had a quarterback, like maybe say Russell Wilson, they'd be pretty good, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, they're one quarterback away. I, I do think <laughs> that we're kind of pricing in this offense as if it's going to be Geno Smith or Drew Locke. And I, I wouldn't say that's exactly likely. I think that they could easily get Baker Mayfield last second, or if Jimmy G gets cut, which I'm not expecting, but right. there's a chance that you get a little bit better uh, quarterback upgrade. I think Baker Mayfield would be a quarterback upgrade over Drew Locke. And I think Baker's got to go somewhere. I think the most likely spot is still um, with the Seahawks. Yeah. yeah. That's not crazy. I, I would like that um, a bit. And uh, I, you know, Drew Locke is not a winning quarterback, but 
he has spike tweaks at least yes thank you very much like he has some prolific tendencies i mean he can throw a, a ball downfield he's super aggressive so if he if it goes in the right direction those do turn into touchdowns. And if it is going to DK Metcalf, you know, he's going to bring it in. So I think we're, yeah. we're getting a little bit carried away, at least just with DK Metcalf and uh, Tyler Lockett. Kimmy Baker Mayfield and those, those two will be totally fine. I, I agree. I think, you know, even with Drew Locke, I mean, I think Gino is a little bit closer to the vest and a little, you know, dink and dunky and, you know, yeah. hey, protect it and play action and throw it away. And, you know, it's sort of, but Drew Locke will make some big mistakes. He loves big mistakes. So he'll throw it down the field and he doesn't really give a shit. He's, you know, he's got the rap song in his head. He's, he's right. jiving back there. He's having a lot of fun. And that, so that I'm, division I'm always, is going to be chasing points. Like Cardinals, Rams, 49ers, they're, they can't be dink and dunking too much. The scoreboard is going to be 28, 14. It's time to cook, <laughs> especially against their defense. Yes. They've got safeties all over the place. They're so stacked. Yeah. Seattle, it's, right. I mean, it's so interesting how they've built that. that defense, oh, such a, such a brilliant move to trade multiple firsts for for a safety. I, uh, chess checkers, baby. That's what they're doing over there. Yeah. Um, Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers bring in Mitch Trubisky. Everybody gets a a, a, a true boner and they get excited for Trubisky. And now all of a sudden it's Kenny Pickett. I would ask this just straight up. What do you think is the split of starts? Uh, you know, if you had to put over under for Kenny Pickett and or Mitch Trubisky. Starts in 2022. Pickett, 13 and a half, 14 and a half. I would think it's that high. I think Pickett's going to go in there and win the job. Uh, maybe not week one. I, I would not be surprised if that's the case, but I think they drafted Kenny Pickett to be the starter. He's very familiar. Uh, this is obviously the most pro-ready quarterback, uh, very close to home. Actually, he was recruited by this current offensive coordinator uh, before they went there. That's very familiar. So, And I think that Kenny Pickett, the way that he plays – fits his offense more than Mitch Trubisky, who's kind of scattered. Kenny Pickett is somebody that has a little bit of athleticism, but for the most part, just going to drop back a bunch of times and he can get unique with uh, the type of motions he's using. That's something that, that Pittsburgh did a ton. They got him on the move a lot and that's what uh, big Ben was not able to do, but you read all the Matt Canada stuff. It's like, we want to do different formations and preset motion and get on, on the run a little bit. And big Ben is like, yeah, that's not going to happen. That's not Kenny Pickett. I think Kenny Pickett can handle that. So I'll, I'm expecting him to go out, go out there and play. And I think that people love to hate on Kenny Pickett because of like the ceiling. But I think that if you actually watch him a little bit, I, I don't think he's going to be like very good, but I think he can be like Ryan Tannehill. I think that people are underappreciating how athletic Kenny Pickett is. They think he's like some statue quarterback. Nah, he got, he got out there and moved a little bit and throw on the run. And I think in this offense, he's got plenty of weapons to get it done. So I think that they're going to ride with Kenny Pickett um, as early as they can. I mean, he's fake sliding fools out in the open field. So he's a fucking stud, bro. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I, the one thing I will say is they can run the same offense, Kenny Pickett, Mitch Trubisky, like, you know, a little bit of movement and stuff like yep. that. And and they really need it because they were so predictable on offense. It was basically shotgun and throw a minus four-yard pass to Najee Harris and Brutal. hope he breaks a tackle to get two yards. Do you remember those fourth down plays? I know you do, right? Oh, those so bad. They could keep swinging it out, and it was just like, what What are we doing? He would like, it would, oh. he wouldn't even have like a, take a deep enough step to like even try to look for a first down. I couldn't believe it. It was, it was so um, right? The, 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 I, I've never in my life seen anything like that in my life. It was embarrassing. It was like fourth and 10, swing pass behind the line of scrimmage immediately to Najee Harris was like, I mean, it just felt like, I mean, it just felt so bad because th- that's a, like a, almost a 0% chance of, ha- of working. And yeah. like, that's what you went with. And 
oh my God, it just was so bad. So they have to be more creative on offense. They can't be any less creative on offense, right? Yeah, no, they're going to be more creative. I think also think Kenny Pickett's just better than the late stage uh, Big Ben. I mean, he yeah. wasn't that bad of a prospect. I, I know it was like a he's a late breakout, and like I understand, but I do yeah. think that there's something. Uh, a late breakout makes more sense at quarterback than it does at running back and wide receiver. There's a couple of reasons why. Number one, it's such a headsy position that it just takes a lot more reps to actually actually become good. Number yes. two is usually it takes there's usually a quarterback that's in place that's already like clogging up the the snaps, and you don't get that at running back and wide wide receiver as much. And I've just like noticed in, in my modeling, the age just is not that much of the the um the the projection that I'm looking for at quarterback than it is at running back and wide receiver. So I think that's a little bit overrated. We saw that with Mac Jones and Kenny Pickett and Mac Jones kind of similar ish prospects where they took a bunch of bullets in the pre-draft process, but they were so productive at college that I'm tending to buy into it. I think that both Mac Jones and Kenny Pickett uh, are less statuistic quarterbacks than what uh, people were giving credit for. So I think yeah, I'm, totally. I'm higher on Kenny Pickett than the market. The market's very low on Kenny Pickett. I'm higher than that. I don't think he's going to be elite, but I think that he can be a totally mid-tier quarterback. Yeah, certainly I agree. I think the there's some floor there. Look, he he's going to be tethered to opportunity. I've said this a million times. Like You could be out on Daniel Jones. He's going to be starting, what, his third or fourth year? This Fourth year, right? Yeah, like, fourth. Unbelievable, right? Like... He's done nothing, won nothing. He's really given no hope to that Giants franchise, yet somehow still the clear starter with no competition around him because he was a first-round pick. We saw Josh Allen. Look, if Josh Allen had played the way he played for two years and he was a third-round pick, he wouldn't have even saw year two. He would have not. I mean, he'd have been out, right? Like, he'd have never gotten that opportunity. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's the way it goes. So Kenny Pickett will be tethered to opportunity for at least a year, but probably more than that, which uh, every time I say this, the only player I can think of, and I say it every time is how bad must have Josh Rosen been to just, you know, right. Well, he went to UCLA. What can I say? There you go. That's right. Hey, Hey, you're, you're right there, man. You're, you're Mr. UCLA, aren't you? Yeah. The, I can't believe like the, the UCLA skill position, like seriously, you guys have to go back and look at since MJD, the UCLA skill players, it is pathetic. Like it is like, Jesus, I, I could you even name one that was even fantasy relevant at any point. No, it's funny because when you said the Dulcich is the best, you see, I was like, wait, no, there has that can't be correct. Like, I you know, there's like a like, Giants running back at one point that was like, uh, I forget, I forget, forget his name. Um, there was like basically no wide receivers. It, it it really is like truly horrific how it's been 15 years and UCLA has seriously zero fantasy relevance uh, skill players. Pour one out, UCLA. <laughs> Just Tough. taking shots. Um, so I think we both expect – so let me ask you this way. Should we be expecting more out of this offense than we saw in 2021? And I don't mean schematically. I mean production. For sure. Yes. Yes. Period. Okay. They, so, okay. Yeah. All, I, I think Chase Claypool will get better. I think Pat Firemuth probably not going to score as many touchdowns because he got right. pretty lucky there. Yep. But I think that he's going to take a step forward. I think Najee Harris, just the way that like this, this team will be able to at least threaten downfield. Last year, everyone knew Big Ben was not going to throw it downfield. Kenny right. Pickett's not going to be elite in that category, but he can zip it enough uh, as a youngster to at least threaten downfield. So I think that everyone's just going to get a little bit more efficient here. And I think they're going to pass the ball um, at reasonable levels. And this, this is another one of those divisions where it's like, damn, like Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, and then Deshaun uh, Watson, if he's out there, like they're, they're going to have to let it rip in some of these games as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I, I, yeah, I've got a lot of questions about this team. I'm just going to ask the next one I've got up and then we'll go from there. Does George Pickens have any 2022 value, you know, uh, as a rookie, does he have fantasy value as a rookie? Um, redraft probably not i think that'd be pretty tough to put him in the top 36 48 um assuming uh claypool and um deontay are healthy but i think in in best ball george pickens profiles like someone that could be a uh spiked week player he's like a traditional x receiver most of his routes that he ran were downfield a jump ball guy on 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 the perimeter could be a red zone weapon as well um i think in dynasty what's what's really interesting about this is deontay's in his last year of his contract and uh, the athletic they were saying they, they were doing a mailbag piece and the Steelers reporter was asked do you think that Deontay is gonna resign with the Steelers and he said most likely not right so now now there's now we're getting cooking with George Pickens where if he's as right. good as we thought uh he was before the NFL draft and Deontay Johnson is out of there and he's already attached to a first round quarterback on a rookie contract like all of a sudden, like you can see like serious upside cases. So he's always going to be a boom bust prospect. That's just the way he profiled. Yep. Uh, even as a, like a, as a player throwing the injuries, throwing the draft capital, all of a sudden we're talking about super boom, super bust, but I can tell you how in dynasty circles, he becomes a top 15 wide receiver. Deontay gets out of there. Kenny Pickett's a little bit better than we think. And then George Pickens is that true X receiver. Claypool kind of does his thing as a Z uh, field stretcher. And all of a sudden George Pickens is kind of locked and loaded. Yeah, I mean, I love it. Great analysis, and and it's it's interesting because um, with Deontay and Claypool both playing a lot of slot, I think Claypool Claypool played more slot than people realized last year. So he's a candidate to play in the slot. But someone who's not a candidate to play in the slot, seemingly George Pickens, which I think kind of hurts him, especially in year one where there isn't the proclivity for a, a young quarterback or Mitch Trubisky to throw to the outside, you know, they're not, maybe we'll see that change, but I agree. I think he's going to play on the outside. He might play a lot in two wide receiver sets because he's such a great run blocker. Like, you know, Pickens, I think is going to play. I just don't think he's going to see a lot of targets, you know, because of, you know, as you point out, Fryermuth is going to get some, you know, the two wide receivers and of course, Najee, right. Um, I don't think they're just going to abandon Najee. They may abandon the fourth and 10 swing pass plays those might come out of the offense but i hope so yeah you know maybe we're gonna we'll look into them you know they were maybe with a maybe with a little bit more accurate throw they get there um you know but um but i think that we're gonna see pickens on the outside but yeah you pointed out it's like there's there's some uncertainty about how this sort of wide receiver grouping will shake out in terms of targets uh do you see Deontay still being this like super high target volume guy or does that come down a little bit I would guess it comes down just because I think that Deontay is a good player. Um, I think that he was a perfect fit for what Big Ben wants to do. I think that Deontay somewhat a little bit can struggle uh, going down downfield a little bit. But like as the underneath underneath guy, he can get peppered with targets. I, I think that there's nothing about Kenny Pickett's game where I'm like, he's going to target one type of receiver versus the other. I think it's going to come down to just who's the best, who's earning those targets. And I think you can make an argument that the last couple of years with Big Ben, didn't really matter how good of a talent was. He's going to throw the guy on those swing passes uh, eight yards uh, in front of the first down marker. And now it just happened to be Deontay instead of Chase Claypool. So they're probably going to get a little bit closer together, but it's hard to get too pessimistic with Deontay. This has been multiple seasons now where 
he's been absolutely peppered with targets. So you have to assume that some of that is because he's just a, a really good football player. But I don't think there's, I don't think Kenny Pickett's going to be some check down artist. I, I think that's one of the narratives about Kenny Pickett that right. he was just a three step drop and then read progressions and then fire it accurate underneath. That's not really kind of how he plays. He's got a little bit more dy- dynamic ability. That's why I always go to like this Ryan Tannehill where you can get him on the move, those type of things. That doesn't necessarily scream Deontay to me, um, but it's a contract season, so he's going to obviously go out there and ball. So I think that he's still worth taking, but I think that the floor is maybe a little bit lower than some of the other receivers in that range. Yeah, well said, man. And and the rookie stash here is Calvin Austin. I, I don't know what you thought of him pre-draft, um, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, him getting drafted to this spot because, you know, we know how good Pittsburgh is at drafting and developing wide receivers. So in that vein, it's great. But of course, being drafted onto a team where we're having a hard time finding targets for George Pickens, it's going to be even harder to find any targets for Calvin Austin. But you make the point, DJ could be in his last year, things could change, yada, yada. Maybe next year, Calvin Austin's a thing. Or is he just another guy that got drafted and we'll forget about him? Yeah, so my prospect model has him as a 34th percentile prospect, so he's definitely climbing the ladder to to get onto the field and all that stuff. But it really is just just Deontay gets out of there and they don't want to invest into their skill players again, you know, and then all of a sudden he's out there in three wide receivers. This team has invested in their skill players a ton the last four or five drafts. So at some point, I think these teams say enough with that. We got to start drafting some first round offensive linemen. We got to get the defense back in track. And all of a sudden, then Calvin Austin could have less competition than we're expecting. He was interesting because he he's obviously super tiny, but he wasn't yeah. tiny. And then in the slot, he actually was playing like he was running the big boy routes on the outside. And that's the difference between Wandale and Calvin Austin. Wandale has like always been a schemed up type of player. And that's why I have some, I'm a little bit lower on Wandale than others. Me too um calvin austin you kind of want to group them together but calvin austin's actually running the big boy route so i'm at least a little bit intrigued um with him but he should be free in most of your drafts because he's definitely facing an uphill battle but he was at least a fun prospect i, I enjoyed his tape um more than what i was expecting after just like looking at his profile through the spreadsheets yeah absolutely and and uh you know, let, let's move on. Uh, we've got a couple more teams, maybe one or two, whatever. We'll go quickly through the Washington Commandos. Uh, the Commandos bring in Carson Wentz, uh, uh, the the used. Never mind. I'm not going to go there. The used <laughs> rag, right? Uh, you know, just kind of getting passed around Carson Wentz at this point. They also have you know Taylor Heineke. They also have Sam Howell. Um, over under starts with injury or without or whatever Carson Wentz in 2022 what do you think I'll go somewhere like 14 so I I would I would be I'm I'm expecting him to play most of the season throwing yeah. a couple injuries a couple of just a disaster scenarios for the commandos and all of a sudden uh he gets out there but they are on a one-year contract with Carson Wentz just the way that the the contract is set up so it's a one-year commitment same thing with Terry McLaurin he's in a contract season they're still debating if they want to pay him so like the Terry McLaurin side of this and that's like where we have to start yes because he's the one of value is yes what do you do with him? Because I don't know if he's going to be on the commanders next year. I'm guessing he will be. Who's going to be the quarterback is what Carson, what season are we getting here? And then they all throw in the the skill guys. Is Curtis Samuel healthy all of a sudden? Is Diami Brown doing something? Uh, is Logan Thomas? What about all their, their running backs? And then Jahan Dotson was the 16th overall pick. So Terry McLaurin's profile is like impossible to navigate. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's like some elite, elite, elite player, but I think that he's kind of in that tier two, tier three conversation 
And then just like the team dynamics could not get worse. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm very concerned about this team in a lot of different ways. And, you know, I think I mentioned in in the show sheet that the final seven games of 2021 with Terry McLaurin, he did not score and didn't go over 100 yards in any of the final seven games. I mean, and he only had one game with more than four catches over his final seven. It was brutal, man. And so, you know, if you were rostering McLaurin in any type of format, he let you down big time. And we all know it's not his talent. I mean, I think he's one of the most widely respected players in terms of talent. The question now is, is that a talent match with Carson Wentz? In some ways, I say yes. In other ways, I'm, I'm dubious. I mean, at the end of the day, are, are you are you hands off, Terry? Or are you thinking maybe there's some value from, from some of his falls in ADP? So I think that Terry McLaurin is, I would say he is a scheme fit with Carson Wentz. I think Terry McLaurin's best attribute is he can win downfield. He can win against man coverage downfield. I mean, he is constantly open and yep. And Heineke could not throw him the ball. There were so many missed uh, opportunities with McLaurin and Carson Wentz is going to have those as well, but that's at least where Carson Wentz is looking to throw the ball. Now Carson Wentz kind of takes a little bit of the ceiling out of it though, because he's not going to like uh, every single down target Terry McLaurin. So I would be surprised if we had like these like Michael Thomas type seasons where he's catching over a hundred passes, but right. I think he can have more spiked weeks. Um, in terms of my rankings, I have him ranked 46th overall in uh, underdog drafts. He's going 46th overall. So I'm right there with the market last year. He finished as a, a 67th overall according to my numbers. So expecting a little bit better season. I don't think he's going to have a top five season in his range of outcomes, which I think I could have said in previous years because I thought he was that good of a player. But at some point, the freaking commanders are just the commanders, and it's hard to like get out of that. Yeah, let's call them the commandos. I think that's even more fun. That's appropriate. But yeah, it's totally, yeah, for sure. They should just have to play in like leather underpants or something. <laughs> um, you know, just be the commandos. Um, so look, this, this, this offense feels like a stay away for me, but like sometimes I feel like maybe that's just an opportunity for finding value, you know, whether it's Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson, Diami Brown. I don't know, man. It's like, I I'm so like, I'm so hesitant to draft any of those dudes, even at value. It's like, I almost look and be like, well, probably there's gotta be a better uh, opportunity for me to draft somebody else and some other team just because it feels like such a train wreck. Is this sort of a stay away or is this an opportunity for value with these sort of secondary players on this, on this team? So I'm looking at my rankings versus ADP and every single player, except for Logan Thomas, I have ranked lower than their ADP. And then Logan yeah. Thomas, I have ranked 177th and his ADP is 180. So there's like yeah. no difference at all. So uh, I, the conversation, like the one biggest difference between dynasty and best ball is in like the offensive dynamics and best ball matter like a ton, like, there's no reason for me to draft Terry McLaurin early because I don't want Carson Wentz late. And in a very similar turn, yes. so somebody like Mike Williams, who goes a little bit earlier than Terry, Terry McLaurin, I'm going out of my way to draft Mike Williams because I know I want Justin Herbert the next round. Bingo. You know? So like that's like the everything's about correlation in best ball. In Dynasty, it's less about correlation. You don't have to beat 400,000 tournament entrants. You only have to beat the 12 knuckleheads in your league. So uh, <laughs> that's where I think that Terry McLaurin is probably better in like dynasty. Jahan Dotson's probably better in dynasty and best ball. Like, I mean, I'd be shocked if the million or $2 million prize winners is a uh, Washington commando stack. Like if that happens <laughs> yes. and like 
all of my theories go out the window, but it's just not an <laughs> offense I want to invest in. Yeah, it's a Sam Howell, Diami Brown stack that wins the oh, Millie. That's tough. Yeah, I, I mean, I do love Diami Brown, so I, I'm, I am hoping he is a, a part of that. Um, but it seems like I'm higher on Diami Brown than uh, the Commandos are. Well, what's your take here with, like, I'll just say it straight up, like Diami Brown or Jahan Dotson for your life who scores more fantasy points in 2022? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Jahan Dotson. Just, I'm a okay. huge believer in the draft capital. I thought Diami Brown was a better player than his draft capital indicated. He was an early uh, declare. I thought his his numbers, and he was always winning on the outside. He wasn't like some schemed up player. I thought that was very intriguing, but he went later in the draft. Jahan Dotson, I think his ceiling comp is like Emmanuel Sanders, probably going to be more of a good number two. He's not an X receiver. He's going to be in the slot. Maybe he can play a little bit of Z, yep. but his size profile uh, kind of leaves him with some limitations there. So, um, just based on the draft capital has got to go Jahan Dotson, but, uh, it's going to be very interesting. Cause like Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin, if that's their three wide receiver sets, which, which I'm expecting to be, that's tiny. That's like a bunch of 180 pound players or below. So they're still looking for the, like that true number one, big time receiver. Terry McLaurin's a very interesting, like kind of more of like that Calvin Ridley type where he is a number one receiver. Cause he's so damn good, but he doesn't right. like, He's not like DK Metcalf over there. So it's a very weird team dynamic, but when in doubt, just fade Dan Snyder and, and all the ludicrous stuff going over there. And I think for the most part, uh, the answer to Jahan Dotson and Diamond Brown's probably uh, neither. Yeah, that's right. Well, it is neither, but boy, oh boy. So three or four months ago, you know, we were all so, so excited about Antonio Gibson. McKissick was going to Buffalo. He was going to be all this pass guy. And then McKissick comes back, and then the commandos go out and draft Brian Robinson to boot. I mean, what the hell, man? This is not good for Antonio Gibson. Or is this the cover of darkness to go out and get Antonio Gibson in Dynasty? Yeah, so the ADPs dropped dramatically. At one point, like you said, he was going in like the round two, three turn, round 25th overall, somewhere around there in, in best ball. Now he's at 56 overall and that keeps sliding. Yep. I haven't ranked 69th overall. So I think he's going to slide even more. The problem with Antonio Gibson, uh, I think he's probably the most overrated running back just based off of like what my, what my eyes are telling me. Um, he fumbles a lot. He still doesn't read his blocks all the way through. He is super dynamic when you get him yes. out in space. And there's like a screenplay where he like took it for a 70 yard touchdown, not arguing against that, but no, right. he's still not the best pass protector um, and I think the the biggest thing that kind of goes back to his college profile and like why even as like an analytics bro, I still value the tape a ton is he was catching a lot of passes like on the spreadsheets like, oh, my God, Antonio Gibson is like that guy. But he was catching passes like from the slot. It's like not necessarily yes. the same thing. And your running backs coach doesn't care if you caught passes in the slot. If you're uh, getting your quarterback killed, that's the part that he actually cares about. Are you like getting the timing route like? Uh, if a if a linebacker is blitzing, are you picking him up? If he's staying back, are you getting out uh, early enough? Those like little timing differences. Antonio Gibson has still struggled uh, fully getting down pack, and that's why I think Brian Robinson is the exact opposite. Brian Robinson, five years at Alabama, do you think he's going to have this stuff figured out? I'm guessing so. Yeah. So I'm very concerned about Antonio Gibson. Um, and then one in doubt, like we said, Dan Snyder. He's still attached to, to Dan Snyder for a couple more seasons. So I think it's just he, he, the ADP keeps falling, and I think. It, Falls for a reason. Maybe there's a buy window, but I think that for the most part, I think Antonio Gibson was just like an overhyped prospect in general. 
Yeah, you're a you're a uh, underdog guy, best ball guy. Your best ball brain is always working, and I love the answer. So if that's the answer for 2022, maybe you're still thinking that he's not even a, a buy in dynasty because maybe the uh, the 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 value continues to drop a bit. I guess that's my question: is when we hit the regular season, do we think we see like, or or even between now and the regular season, between now regular season and then into the regular season, do we do we think that we're going to see maybe some Antonio Gibson value drop even some more, and there'll be a buying opportunity, or maybe just stay away altogether? I mean, it's very interesting because Antonio Gibson was like a top ten dynasty running back. I mean you know, a top two round dynasty startup pick, you know, and everybody was in and it's Antonio Gibson time. You could trade him for the world. And now it's like, it's so hands off. I mean, his, this has been erratic. This is, yeah. and, the, and the offense we're talking about, the Dan Snyder. I mean, there's a lot going on here that is really concerning. Their defense is good. So they're probably going to be a little bit uh, lower uh, volume offense. I mean, everything here is like alarm bells. Get the hell out of here. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, so I'm looking at JD McKissick's contract because I think that's the kind of step one. They signed him on a two-year deal. Two year. Uh, they could get out of it if JD McKissick is really bad this year. They can get out of it. Um, yeah. But I, I think for the most part, there's going to be some limitations with Antonio Gibson. Like he's just he could be a bell cow back, and like there's still like the the ceiling is at least still there just because he is the size and the athleticism right. that's required yes. for that. But he just didn't play that position. You know, he's still learning the position. And you don't say that too often about third-year players. Um, And this offense is not going to project well. Even if he is the bell cow, like, he's not bell cow like Christian McCaffrey uh, or or Dalvin Cook. This is bell cow on a bad team. Um, So we'll see. I think that he's probably going to be this year uh, an RB2 that's not going many, many good places. And I think in Dynasty, that's probably going to be the case for the next two years. Guys, this is Hayden Winks. The man, the myth, the legend, unbelievable, so awesome. Uh, you got, two, I think I said it last time, two of the best names in fantasy football Hayden Winks and Jax Falcone. One that's real, right. one made up, you know, and that's really the difference between you and I. You're real and I'm just a fake. Um, but let's do one more team because I think it's so much fun to talk about the San Francisco 49ers because they're getting a new quarterback, sort of. Uh, they're getting Trey Lance, and there's been so much going around with this San Francisco team. And this is actually a team where there's a lot of excitement, where there's a lot of opportunity, where we see Debo Samuel going fucking crazy last year, yep. where Brandon Ayuk still exists, I think. George Kittle's probably the best overall tight end in the game. Uh, I'm not saying he's the best fantasy tight end, but definitely the best overall tight end when you talk about blocking, run after catch receiving ability my goodness the guy's a stud uh elijah mitchell Tyrion davis price the serial killer right there's a lot going on trey sermon does he still exist he's a real person uh, jimmy g the fucking grim reaper shadow of jimmy g still there man he still is there so what is going to happen with this san francisco 49er team that has super bowl real super bowl aspirations over under starts for trey lance in 2022 um, I would go like 13 somewhere around there. I think that's still very likely to be starting this year. I'd say the odds Jimmy G is staying on the team. Maybe he's about 15% somewhere around okay. there and that he's yep. actually starting is probably less than 10% chance. Yep. Um, I think that Debo Samuel, he would have been traded if that would have happened because they want, would have wanted picks already. So I think Debo's yep. on the team. Uh, so we can, uh, save that conversation. But I do think that the Jimmy G stuff, the injury has really zapped 
the trade market for him right now. Now, I still think that there could be an injury in training camp for one of these other teams. Uh, they, the 49ers can just learn from these. I mean, we're just getting into mini camp, camp season where Trey Lance is actually at as a player himself. I think that's part of the equation. But I always yeah. thought that Trey Lance was a very boom-bust player, but I think that with a couple more reps here, they got to commit to him. So um, unless there's no quarterback injuries this this offseason and like the Panthers like just say, screw it, we're going with Sam Darnold this year, I think that Jimmy G is still pretty likely to get out of there. I mean, Shanahan said it yesterday. They are looking to trade Jimmy G. Everybody knows it just comes down to where – uh, when this is going to happen, I think that the, the clearance is about like j- somewhere around July 4th is when we're going to have Jimmy G actually cleared from his shoulder surgery. And then once that happens, he could um, pass uh, the, um, the the checks for the other teams to right. get these trades to go through. So I think we're just in a, in a waiting period. But that makes Trey Lance um, and redraft and in best ball in particular a screaming by. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that he's ultimately still going to be the starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, the worst kept secret was that Tom Brady didn't retire. He was just looking to either go play for San Francisco or Miami. Uh, The fact that there was real possibilities that he wanted to go play in San Francisco tells me that the Niners are not completely sold on Trey Lance. And I think there's some concerns there. I agree that I don't think it's they're holding on to Jimmy G as Trey Lance insurance. I agree. I think that's just because of injury and, you know, the sort of the market. And I think if they could have traded him for you know, a, a lot before the draft they would have, right? I don't think they're holding on to Jimmy G because they don't believe in Trey Lance. But now that they still have him and they don't believe in Trey Lance, that's what is like interesting to me, right? Yep. You know, it's like, could they sort of, you know, go through the summer a little bit and be like, ah, look at each other. Like, I'm not sure if Trey Lance is ready, if he isn't. I'm not saying yeah. he isn't. I'm saying there's a possibility. Uh, that could sort of be a, an interesting storyline to watch. Or it could just be, as you point out, wheels all the fucking way up for Trey Lance. Because, look, I've said it before. If Trey Lance hits as an NFL quarterback, he absolutely smashes as a fantasy quarterback. That's a fact. The question still remains is whether or not he hits as a real-life quarterback. What say you, Hayden, if you had to bet? you think this guy is going to be a starter in three, four years in the NFL? I, yeah, I think he will be. I think he's very similar to Jalen Hurts. I think that he um, has a better arm than than Jalen Hurts. Now, I think people kind of slept on how good of like, I mean, Jalen Hurts isn't like a great processor, but I mean, he, I mean, he had some insane college seasons and Trey Lance, it was not yeah. nearly uh, ready like that. So I think Trey Lance is going to have some growing pains once he gets in there, but yeah. the talent is all there. And I, I, I do trust this coaching staff to get the most out yeah, of I was him. Gonna I know say he works that- his ass off too. Yeah, the scheme will help him, right? I think yes. they'll be able to scheme him into safety. Um, you know, the 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 running game's always great. The defense should be good. You know, you point out that they'll have the two games against uh Seattle, but you know, Arizona and then the Rams, you know, four times, you know, that's not that's not great. But yeah, I think they're 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 good enough. Now, what I'm concerned about is who who gets arrow up from Trey Lance starting and who gets arrow down on this team when it comes to the skill positions. Or is everybody down because yeah. of, right? So that's what makes it complicated for like, uh, my best ball brain is I'm all over Trey Lance at ADP. He's going like in the hundreds now. now oh, like if, yeah. If he, yeah, that's just like, I'm with you. I, I think that the, the odds that Jimmy G's hanging around go up a little bit, a tiny, tiny, tiny bit more every single day that passes. Yeah. But people are like, overreacting to that you yeah know, where yeah, like yeah. the ceiling case for trey lance is he's the quarterback one this year like he right. has that in his range of outcomes certainly 100 but what's yes. what's what's tough with that is 
I think if Trey Lance is starting, it's arrow down on George Kittle and Debo Samuel because they're just not going to pass as much. Like the reason why Trey Lance would be such a good fantasy quarterback is because he's rushing. And when you're rushing the ball, guess what that means? You're not catching passes if you're Debo Samuel. So yes. very interesting um, conversation with, with them. And then, like, th- then the Debo Samuel stuff is – we, if you have Debo Samuel uh, on Dynasty, Redraft, whatever format, you want him playing wide receiver. Like the running back stuff was like cool to watch, and he's like amazing at it. But his best games were when he was playing actual wide receiver because he's a really good actual wide receiver. <laughs> right. And uh, I think that if Trey Lance is back there at quarterback, that Debo Samuel would actually go play wide receiver. There's no need for Trey Lance and Debo Samuel to be in the backfield. Get him back to the wide receiver. So. The most complicated offense in fantasy circles by far right now is the yes. 49ers. That's why I wanted to talk about them. And do you think that they're going to be sort of like the, what year is it now? The 2020 Baltimore Ravens? Am I getting my years right? That sort of first, um, you know, Lamar Jackson year where he started. I mean, uh, you know, where it's a yep. lot of run, low pass yep. volume, try and be real efficient with it. Yep. Let him, you know, threaten the, the defense with his legs. You know, maybe I don't think they're going to see 20 rush attempts like they did with Lamar, but maybe 10, 10 plus, you know, yep. uh, rush attempts from Trey. Is that kind of what you're thinking or I, no? I, I like that a lot. I, I think Lamar Jackson was a better prospect than Trey Lance coming yes. out of school. I mean, Lamar Jackson won the Heisman and people yeah. are kind of forgetting how good of a prospect Lamar Jackson was. Um, so I think that Trey Lance will have to get to that. I think Lamar Jackson's also like, I mean, the rarest of quarterback rushers and Trey Lance is Correct. different. He's Trey Lance is more more Cam Newton, Jalen Hurts than he is yes. Lamar Jackson. And the Lamar Jackson rushing ability is off the charts, obviously. But I guess what uh, I'm saying is sort of the ph- philosophy, yeah, right? For if sure. They, I think if they're going to protect him with just, you know, RPO, run game, let him take some. And, I mean, the only negative there is that you open him up to hits. Yeah, but I think I think he can handle it. He's got the the, the, the physique for it. I think the, the yep. one difference, um, you're, you're going to see probably, like, they would send Jimmy G on, like, these – these like crossing routes over the middle of field, which is like linebacker interception heaven. And Jimmy yeah. G would throw those all the time. What's interesting about those type of plays is they're super efficient. Throwing the ball over the middle is the most efficient pass in the NFL. But when you make one bad mistake, that's an interception. It's going the ball the other way. Yeah. I think you're going to see less of that with Trigger Lance. And you're going to see more of just like the downfield play action shots, to the perimeter and all those hole shots that he's certainly capable of hitting. So I think it's going to be very inconsistent once he gets out there, but inconsistent in real life and less so for fantasy. Like we're getting goal line touches. We're getting eight plus carries every single game from Trey Lance and a couple schemed up touches to Kittle and Debo Samuel. Those can turn into 40 yard touchdowns. So um, it's really hard. I do not understand why Trey Lance is going is as late as he is, especially in best ball tournaments, like tournaments. It's like all about the ceiling outcomes. It's not about like if you're, if you came in third place, that means nothing. That means you still came in 12th place. That's how best ball works. We're coming for ceilings and Trey Lance has got the ceiling. So I don't know why he's going, um, into the hundreds right now. Yeah, that 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 jives with me. Uh, one last thing on San Francisco while we're here. By the way, the San Francisco, I mean, some of my favorite players, I mean, right? Just Kittle, Debo. One of my other favorite players who, I, you know, I while I like the player, uh, I am also very, very concerned with the fragility uh, this year with Elijah Mitchell. They did draft Tyrion Davis-Price. And even if you think Elijah Mitchell is a better football player, they have more investment in the serial killer over... Elijah Mitchell, I think that Elijah Mitchell is a good scheme fit for this offense. He showed it. He's very explosive. Uh, are we concerned here about Elijah Mitchell? Do you think that uh, you know either Sermon or any of these other guys, the serial killer, uh, make a, an impact at the running back position and play Elijah Mitchell off the field at least enough to hurt his fantasy value? Um, 
I don't think so. The one thing with Elijah Mitchell is he is so fast, and that's not exactly where uh, the serial killer Trey Sermon, uh, Jeff Wilson really make their 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 hay. It's really right. he's kind of his own type of back. So I think that. And, and those power backs, like you don't really need that power back when you got Trey Lance back there. Like the goal right. line, other offenses would need somebody like the serial killer to run up the middle uh, at the goal line. Why do that when you have Trey Lance? The whole reason why you drafted Trey Lance is so you can run those type of quarterback power uh, zone read plays near the goal line where you really could just use Elijah Mitchell. So right. I think that Elijah Mitchell, he might get kind of typecasted into this like stay away from Shanahan running backs where I yeah. think that he, he kind of just solidified like the way that he performed last year and just like the style. I think that's going to be a good fit for him regardless. And they keep adding to that position, but they're adding to like the other type. Yeah. Uh, I was, I loved Trey Sermon, I, which a huge mistake. Obviously I think that this running back pick was bad news for Trey Sermon, Sermon. and not necessarily yeah. for, for Mitchell. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Actually, the way that you, that you say that. And, and while I agree, it still doesn't mean that you and I are right about this, right? That, which is why I'm always playing devil's advocate to my, to my position. I do agree with your position. It does feel like the right answer, but man, oh man, like you say, with the Shanahan offense, you just never know. I mean, last year we were wrong on Brandon Ayuk. We were long, wrong on the Jimmy G Trey Lance stuff. They got basically everything. Trey Sermon was the RB one, uh, even ahead of like Raheem Mostert in training camp and stuff like we got zero help from the beat reporters from Shanahan in the preseason. Like we got it all completely mixed up. But I think that's why Elijah Mitchell, he's going 66 overall. I think like the, the downside risk is already kind of priced in there. I think for the most part, Elijah Mitchell is going to be like an RB two with some upside, especially in half PPR, like underdog is. So I'm buying Elijah Mitchell. I'm buying Trey Lance. The other players are the ones I'm having the most concerns with, because if I'm betting on Trey Lance, it's like, gets very complicated. Like, do I want second round Debo Samuel on, like, on a quarterback led team? Like the reason why AJ Brown's price is falling down is he's going to a very similar offense. And he was yeah. a, like a top 12 pick on underdog. And now he's down to like 25th overall because of this, this, the offensive change. I think that Debo Samuel is kind of getting into that same boat. If they get, uh, they uh, finally trade Jimmy G. Well, I'll tell you, let's, we're going to wind down. We're going to get going here, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to just, Put on your dynasty brain. Look, welcome to the dynasty game theory invitational. We uh, we brought you on. You're you're a, you're a brave man. You took over an orphan, although you took over Mike Lou's orphan. Mike Lou, you know, sailed off into the sunset. He's got his NFTs and his bitcoins just yep. blowing his sail into the into the horizon. He's just dominating life, but he did pull back and and dropped out of the dynasty game theory invitational. But that allowed Mister Hayden Winks. To join the league, bunch of sharks in that league, eh, Hayden? I was looking at it, um, and I was not thrilled to see all these big <laughs> names in there. Uh, but he left me with uh, Javante and Alvin Kamara, so I can't really complain there. Josh Jacobs, the problem with this team that I have is I got about six running backs that I like, and I'm counting um, zero wide receivers that I like. So I'm kind of pigeonholed in this, but that's why we have Dynasty. I'm going to be uh, kind of tearing down this roster and then playing for the 2023, 2024 season. I think that's my strategy. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fun league. It's a 14 man league, which makes it even more difficult. It's a very deep starting roster, which makes it even more difficult, uh, deep, uh, you know, benches more difficult. And of course, playing with the likes that are in this league, you're like, geez, Louise, um, there's no break anywhere. There's no fish, um, you know, including yourself. I know, you're relatively new to the dynasty game, yep. but you know, which is the thing that 
you know, um, you'll have to learn more. You certainly know football. You certainly know prospects. You certainly know fantasy football. You know all these things. You're not as much of a dynasty player. And the thing to learn with dynasty is sort of my tagline is that dynasty game theory is like, how do you do the things that you want to do? And I always say there's no bad strategy except the one you don't stick to. You're like, I'm all in winning it this year. And then you're like trading good players for first round picks. Like, wait, what? You know, you kind of have to have a cogent idea. Make sure your plan is good. And then make sure that a lot of the transactions and things that you do serve that end. You know, you want to make sure that, you know, you're, you've got an idea as to what you're doing and certainly sounds like you do, you know, um, Mike is a pretty good player. So you're right. You didn't have like some shit team or anything, but um, it's, that's the, that's the key to dynasty is just figuring out how you're going to compete and when you're going to compete. And, and, and the other part is just value. It's just always trying to make sure you're, you're squeezing value out of any transaction you do, which again, with a bunch of guys who already know that shit, super tough to do because they're trying to do the same thing with every transaction they do. So it's awesome. I think uh, last year I mentioned it was me and Justin Boone and we were trading in the startup. And I mean, I love Boone. I love him. He's such a good dude. I'm going to have to have him on the show again here soon. Um, And he is just so much like me where we went back and forth on a counter and honestly, we're arguing about like a third round. I mean, a third round rookie picked down the line. It was just like, that's why we play though. <laughs> fucking squeezing the shit out of each other. And, and there was no disrespect. I mean, it was great. I was actually loving it, you know? And, and I thought, oh, he'll just, you know, neither one of us wanted to be the one that accepted the trade. We wanted to be the last one to offer the trade. If that makes any sense. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, nope, this version. How about that? Huh? And he'd be like, yeah, sounds good. Just like this then. And he'd send it back to me and I'd be like, Sounds perfect. How about then just this? You know, yes, what I, mean? it was, yeah, I love that. It was just one of those forever. And yep. uh, it it was the same deal for like 15 iterations. It was just which one of us was going to get the final little fucking cherry, you know? Yeah, I, I'm so excited for this. I'm, I'm glad that you invited me. Like to me, like right now, like I have Josh Jacobs who's in the last year of his contract and he, he's not a fit for my roster because I'm right. not competing for this year. But like am I really going to go into uh, JJ Zacharyson's DMS and try to trade him Josh Jacobs? Like there's zero chance he wants Josh Jacobs. So that's like my problem here is like, Oh, Pat Corain. Like, am I really going to get Pat Corain to to buy Josh Jacobs from me? So I'm very excited to see what like the market is for Josh Jacobs. I'm sure it's like for freaking Jalen Tolbert or something ridiculous, but that's the, (laughs) that's the calculus I'm I'm waiting for uh, going into these streets. Right. Well, that's it. You know, it's like when, when we talked about this the other week was me and Scott Connor, you know, sometimes people will talk about, well, what is a player's value? Right. And like there's keep trade cut, which is pretty cool. It sort of crowdsources uh, dynasty okay. values. And I think it's great. I think it's a great thing. It shows you, you know, or other people's rankings or ADP and all the rest of it. There's a ton of resources out there that will tell you what Josh Jacobs value is in the streets. Right. However, that does not mean that you automatically are going to get that for him yes. when you just say, I want to sell him. Like, you're not just going to be like, yeah, so it says here, Josh Jacobs worth a early 23 second. Now go ahead and fetch that over if, if that's the case or late 23 first. Nobody's going to just be like, well, fucking hey, it says that here. So let's just go ahead and accept that trade. You still have to have someone willing to buy that player, someone yep. willing to take on that player on their team. And that can be, if you're in a 14 team league, that could be two or three play, two or three managers who are even willing to take him on at sort of any cost relative to his real cost. Right. Yep. Obviously if you say, yeah, a uh, 24 third rounder for Josh Jacobs, I'll just snap it. But then 
what the fuck? That's not anything good for you. You know, so I'm yeah. willing to take him on, but at his actual value, I may be more hesitant. And therefore, that's not good for you because you don't want to sell him low, so to speak. Yeah. You yeah. want to get some modicum of value. So that's what makes the the whole thing. And I've often said in those situations, if you're selling just one player, it can be more difficult. So a little Dynasty Game Theory 101 from Mr. Hayden Winks is sell as part of a package. You know, a lot of times you can say, hey, look, what if I do Jacobs, my 23 first and whatever, you know, I'm just making sure. And then, oh, I'll get him back and I'll do the, you know, you start to make things happen. You know, maybe you're on the clock here. You're going to have the the pick a 11 or something. You sell yep. Jacobs plus that pick for some other shit that's down the line. So yep. someone looks at a win now team and goes, oh, I get Jacobs, I get the 11th pick. And now all of a sudden this makes more Package. sense to that person that buying, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think I'm going to I'm going to find I'm going to be firing off some Keenan Allen, uh Josh Jacobs, Ryan Tannehill packages out there. So you guys right? you guys stay tuned. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to resell all these guys. But I, yeah, going back to what you said about the value and like the, the market value does not mean it's the market value in your league. Josh right. Jacobs is going to be the headline of that. There is not a single person in this league that wants Josh Jacobs. I can already assure you that's the case. This league is too sharp for the Josh Jacobs community. Yeah. Well, I mean, and look, you know, once a guy performs too, you know, I mean, that's the thing is that you always take that risk. Do I sell quote unquote low now on him yeah. or do I wait for him to smash? Well, what if he doesn't smash? What if you're right? So, you know, the, the value is always <clears throat> fluid. I mentioned on this, you're going to love this one. So about, um, I don't remember not too long ago, but like in the off season, JJ sent me a trade and listen at the time, the player he offered me was at a higher value than the player he asked from me. And I almost snapped it. He offered me Chase Claypool for Amon Ross St. Brown. But at the time, you know, Chase Claypool was a higher ranked player. Now, basically, consistently, even after the Jamison Williams, this was before, well before the draft, and before the draft, Amon Ra was worth well more. So it's like, but he was smart enough to see that there was one player, Amon Ra, increasing in value, and he had a player on his team decreasing in value, but he tried to converge those two values that they were currently about the same and said, hey, here it is, you know? And it was like somewhat tempting, and I, I pulled back, didn't do it. And now we see even after the Jamison Williams uh, draft pick, that Amon Ra's value is quite a bit higher than Chase Claypool's. So a very expert sort of, you know, offer from him where it was like he was just looking for a player on the rise and selling one of his players on the on the fall. And you could do that same thing with Josh Jacobs, you know, whether it be like an A.J. Dillon type. You know, now I'm not saying that whoever has A.J. Dillon would sell A.J. Dillon for um, Josh Jacobs, but they might because they'd be like, well, I have Josh Jacobs higher in my dynasty rankings than AJ Dillon. Click, accept, and you're like, yep. perfect. I got off the declining Josh Jacobs asset and got on the increasing, inclining AJ Dillon asset. Perfect for my team. I don't even care which one's better this year because I ain't winning this year. But yep. next year, I know for damn sure AJ Dillon will be better. worth more than Josh Jacobs. Yep, totally makes sure. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be looking at who's who's the win now teams, and then they're gonna be taking my Josh Jacobs and Keenan Allen shares, and I'll go from there. Awesome, I absolutely love it, dude. Everybody loves you, Hayden Winks. Thank you so much for taking so much time. You you don't know how uh, how much it means to me that you come on this show, take up time, prepare for the show. All of that is so appreciated. The audience absolutely loves you. We all love Underdog. We love what you're doing. Can't wait to have you on again. You are welcome. Open invite to this show. 
anytime. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me on. Thanks for inviting me into the Dynasty space. Uh, and obviously, it's going to be the best pairing for best ball. Get my best ball brain to think about something else every once in a while. It's probably pretty good for the mental health as well. So always appreciate the chat. We'll do this again sometime soon. Absolutely. The Undroppables heart emoji underdog, period. On behalf of everybody here at the Undroppables, on behalf of everybody here at the Undrafted, on behalf of a super, super sad Philadelphia 76er fan, Michael P. Duncan, on behalf of the great Hayden Winks, I am Jax Falcone, and we are out.